think about this morning, I'm thinking about in John 6, when Jesus gives a really hard teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And at that time, it says that many disciples began to abandon him. And he looked at the 12 and he said to them, are you two going to leave me? And Peter said, where else would we go? For you alone have the words of life. If we have nothing else, (laughs) nothing else in life, but we have the words of Jesus and the presence of Jesus, then we have enough. You alone have the words of life. And so uh, with the remainder of our time this morning, as we look at your word, we just invite you to speak and teach us those words. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, this is going to be TED Talk style because I'm, I'm on the clock. So I'm going to go quick. Come with me. All right, we're wrapping up our sermon series on the church this morning. Uh, this morning is also a transition to next week, which we begin a new series next week. So this morning, what I'm going to be doing is wrapping up thoughts on the church, but also transitioning into our new series. So the church is the single multi-ethnic family promised by the creator God to Abraham, brought into being through Israel's Messiah, Jesus, energized by God's spirit, and called to bring the transformative news of God's rescuing justice to the whole creation. Uh, We've been talking about this idea that the church is both in and beyond culture. In other words, it is both universal and local. An incredible design uh, of the church by God is that there are truths about the church that are true of every single local church that exists on earth. The church, no matter where it is, is the body, bride, family, temple, flock of God. The church, wherever it exists, exists to glorify Jesus Christ and to share the good news of Jesus. That is true of every local church in every setting. And yet, every local church, just like every single person, is unique and designed by God in unique ways. We also talked about this last week, where the church is headed. It has a destination. It has a redemptive destination. So in the Christian faith, we believe that all of history is building towards a specific redemptive destination. The story of history will culminate in the recreation of the new heavens and the new earth. The picture of this for the church is the wedding feast between Christ and his bride. And we looked at that verse in Revelation 19 where it says, Blessed are those who are invited to the feast. And the mission of the church is to prepare for the feast and to invite others to the feast that will take place. We looked at the four big movements of redemptive history, creation, fall, redemption, and consummation, and how the church is the bridge between redemptive history and the consummation of all things. Redemption is possible because of the cross. This has already happened, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, but the consummation of all things has not yet happened. This is the wedding uh, between the bride and groom that will take place in the future, and the church is the bridge between these two things. It's the means to the end, so it's the way that the kingdom of God is breaking through on earth right now, is the church. All right, this morning we're going to look at where we are headed here at Parker Ford Church as a local church with an eye uh, towards uh, where we're headed next year, and that's why we're going to use this also as a transition into our next sermon series, because that's, uh, for me, very, very much shaping where I sense the Lord leading us. So last week we explored where the universal church is headed in all of redemptive history. Uh, the culmination of the church's story is the feast between the bride of Christ and Jesus himself. As a local church, we take part in this journey. 
This morning we'll take time to look at some of the trajectory and direction we're sensing for the Lord here specifically. So Parker Ford Church, look to your left, my right. You see that banner up on, uh, up on the wall back there? What's it say on the top? A people following Christ. So PFC, Parker Ford Church, for many years now, I forget, how many years ago was this that brought? 2007, that tagline was given. So 2007, uh, we're, what's that, 17 years? No, 12 years, sorry. I went to seminary, not, uh, <laughs> not MIT. Right? <laughs> PSC, a people following Christ. Um, so this continues to me to be, even though this happened long before I came to Parker Ford Church, that continues to be, for me, a very important um, defining statement of who we are meant to be. We are meant to be a people following Christ. And that's well and good, and that's beautiful, but what does that actually mean? Have you ever stopped and thought about it? What does that actually mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? How do we follow Christ? And what's meant to happen within us as we follow Christ? These are the questions that are stirring in me for our body. What's that actually mean for us to follow Christ? Because if it's just showing up on a Sunday morning and singing some songs, that's not enough. (laughs) That's not, that's not actually getting to the heart of, of following Jesus. And I don't think anyone here believes that. Um, but we should explore that question. So in Matthew 7, uh, in Matthew 4, right after the temptation of Christ, at the very beginning of his ministry, is when he comes up to Peter and uh, John um, and James and Andrew, and he says to them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Then right after that, into chapter 5, he gives the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7. At the end of Matthew 7, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. In other words, it's not enough just to hear and know the teaching of Jesus. You can hear and know the teaching of Jesus, and you can know it by heart, but unless you do it, unless you actually live it, then you're like a person who has no foundation. But those who hear and then do, those who follow Christ in his footsteps in that way, are like those with a foundation that is firm. This is a really fun word that I've been thinking a lot about. Everybody say Christoformity. Christoformity. Isn't that a cool word? You can uh, break it apart, Christ, and to be formed. So to be Christoform is to be formed into the image of Christ. Beginning next week, we'll be starting a new series on the life of Jesus. We're going to take time to look at Jesus in the Old Testament. We'll look at the birth of Christ, his childhood, his words, his teachings, his parables, his actions, his miracles, 
his example and his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the goal of this whole series is Christoformity, that we would be formed in the image of Christ as we follow after him, that we may be conformed into his image and experience true and lasting spiritual transformation. The Lord desires transformation for you. The Lord desires transformation for me. Probably my number one prayer for myself, this is my prayer for myself, my number one prayer for myself is that I will never grow cold, that I will never plateau, that I will never come to a place where I think I've arrived. I want to know Jesus and walk with Jesus when I'm 90 years old in ways that I can't imagine today. And I want that for you. So I'd invite you to take a moment and just look at your own heart. And no matter where you're at in life, you might be 15 years old in this room. You might be nearing 100. Wherever you're at, go ahead and look inward for a minute and ask yourself, have I grown cold? So as a local church, we exist to cultivate a culture of Christoformity. This is why we exist. We exist to create and cultivate a culture of being formed into the image and likeness of Jesus. All right, little secret into the Christian faith. The goal of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, <laughs> right? We, why, do we, why are we a people who follow Christ? To become like Christ. You know what the word Christian means, right? It means little Christ. We are Christian. We are little Christs. We follow Jesus to become like Jesus. Scott McKnight, uh, New Testament scholar, he's the one who coined this term, Christoformity. He says, if Christoformity is the core of Christian culture, then the pastor's role from day, day begin to day end is to nurture Christoformity. So this is one of the reasons why I'm offering times to do the spiritual formation stuff. That, that is really my whole job, is to nurture Christoformity in the church. Eugene Peterson says the pastor has three jobs, pray, read, and do spiritual, uh, spiritual direction in people's lives. Those are the three jobs of a pastor. If Christ, part of that is teaching, obviously. Part of that is counseling. But in every opportunity, it's to, to help nurture spiritual formation. So Christoformity, however, will never perfectly align with the American culture. Why? Because Christoformity um, is the culture of the redeemed. It's the culture made possible only by the Spirit and those open to the Spirit, and it can only be achieved in this world in part as we await full redemption in the kingdom. Christoformity then knows Christian culture from the world, from a culture formed by the unredeemed and often in contradiction to the redemptive ways of Christ, which means, as Eugene Peterson once said, that a Christian pastor's responsibility is to subvert worldliness in the culture and uh, the culture of the church and in the lives of church members. 
So let me do this for one moment. Let me subvert some culture. All right, in 2018, the average American spent 144 minutes a day on social media. I guarantee you that went up this year. So the average adult in 2018 spent 144 minutes a day on social media. This isn't watching TV. This isn't watching the news. This isn't reading online articles. This doesn't account for any of that screen time. This is social media. All right, again, I went to seminary, not MIT. So help me do the math here. If you take 144 minutes a day and you multiply that by 365, what do you get? You get over 33 days. How many months are in it, or how many days are in a month? That means that the average person in 2018 in America spent over a month of their time, like essentially a tithe of their time, on social media. We are being formed into the image of this world. Our whole following Christ purpose is to be formed into the image of Jesus. How might God be calling you and I to subvert culture and nurture Christoformity in our own lives? How might God be calling you and I to be conformed, transformed, and reformed in the image of Christ? These are questions that we'll be asking as we look at the story of Jesus. The Bible talks about spiritual formation in the New Testament in some really uh, beautiful ways. In Romans 8, 29, Paul says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you see that? If you are in Christ, he has chosen you to be conformed into the image of his Son in order that he, that's Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. Or in Philippians 3, 20 to 21, Paul uses the same Greek word talking about our future. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform, same word, this time translated as transform, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be subject, uh, even to subject all things to himself. So this comes from the Greek word somorphous, which means having the same form as another, similar or conform to. What do you see? What word do you see within that word that you would recognize? Morph. To morph. God wants us to morph into the image of his son, to be conformed. There's another word uh, that's used in the New Testament, uh, metamorpho. And what, what word do you recognize from that? What's a butterfly do? Metamorphosis. And this is translated often as the word uh, transformation. So do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Let a, a metamorphosis process happen within you. 
by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18, Paul says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Kenneth Boa, um, I have a, a spiritual formation book written by uh, Boa, and it's really helpful. It's called Conform to His Image, and in the introduction, talking about Christoformity, talking about the idea of being formed into the image of God, he says this, the spiritual life is an all-encompassing, lifelong response to God's gracious initiatives in the lives of those who tr- whose trust is centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Biblical spirituality is a Christ-centered orientation to every component of life through the mediating power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is a journey of the Spirit that begins with the gift of forgiveness and life in Christ and progresses through faith and obedience. All right, this is a key phrase here. Since it is based on a present relationship, since it Since spiritual formation is based in the fact that we walk with Jesus today, it is a journey with Christ rather than a journey to Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world. The spiritual life is a journey with Christ rather than a journey to Christ. As long as we are on this earth, we will never arrive. The journey is not complete until the day of our resurrection when the Lord brings us into complete conformity with himself. This is how I would uh, really simply diagram that idea, the difference between an idea of journeying to Christ versus the identity, hey, the way of journeying with Christ. So in a posture of a journey to Christ, this is us, and this is this idealized version of ourselves that we have in our head. And when we reach this point of self-realization, we'll be good enough, we'll be righteous enough, we'll be clean enough, we'll be worthy of being with Christ. And so we spend our lives working uh, our salvation out, essentially. It's a works-based uh, approach to spiritual transformation. But this is a fool's errand because uh, there has yet to be the person who has been able to go on that journey and arrive. But a posture, um, this is the posture for us, a posture in a transformative journey with Christ, where because this is a journey with Christ, our self is in, you are in Christ, I am in Christ. And as I walk with Christ, in Christ, he transforms me into a new self, not yet fully arrived, but transformed nonetheless. And my new self continues to walk with Christ in such a way that he can once again conform me and transform me in new and deeper ways into a new self. And I continue to journey with Christ and I never arrive and yet I continue to experience the transformative power of God in my life. Does that make sense? You tracking with me? This is how God wants us to walk through the spiritual life with him every step of the way. I'm a very different person than I was 10 years ago. And there's been some hard discipline and things that have come into my life that the Lord has brought into my life. And I pray that it will be the same in 10 years as I continue to journey with Christ. There are rough edges in my life that he wants to transform. There are things in me that he wants to redeem and refine. We think, this is what another uh, really helpful 
spiritual formation theologian author Claus Isler says, uh, we think Christian formation is mainly about using our willpower to change our external behavior. So that's the top one, right? We think that Christian formation is about changing how we behave, using our own willpower. Whereas Jesus says it's really about changing the flow of our inner hearts. We think Christian formation is mainly about following rules. Again, that's the top one. We think that Christian formation is about following rules, um, whereas Jesus says it's really about deepening our fellowship relationship with him and relying on divine resources that make change possible. We've been persuaded by frustrating experiences that deep Christian formation is not realistic or possible on this side of heaven. Some of you in here have believed that lie. That deep transformation is not possible because of the failures and difficulties you've experienced in the past. I want to invite you to believe something new. Jesus is convinced that it is. Finally, we think of Jesus only as Lord and Savior, which he is, but we ignore and devalue Jesus' impressive human life example. Yet Jesus says it's possible to put words of mine into practice and to learn from me. So in Matthew uh, chapter 11, where Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and take my yoke upon you. Um, In first century Israel, do you know what a rabbi's teaching was called? A Jewish rabbi's teaching was called his yoke. And so he would say to his students, take my yoke upon you. The students of the rabbi, the disciples of the rabbi, the apprentices of the rabbi would take the yoke of that teacher upon themselves. So Jesus says to his disciples, his followers, come follow me. And then in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he gives the greatest teaching in the history of the earth, the Sermon on the Mount. And then a few chapters later, well, he ends that with saying, if you hear this and you don't do it, you have no foundation. You have to hear this and do it and live it out. And then in Matthew 11, after John the Baptist dies, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and take my yoke upon you. When Jesus said that, He was talking about the Sermon on the Mount. He was saying to all those listening to him, take my teaching upon yourselves and do it. That might be a new way to frame this passage for you. I found that to be extremely helpful in understanding what Jesus was talking about. He's saying, take my way of life upon you for my yoke is easy. Who reads the Sermon on the Mount and says, that's easy? And yet, what happens when we live the Sermon on the Mount? The burdens, the demonic oppression, the self-hatred. We step into sonship and daughterhood. We step into freedom. We step into our identity in Christ and suddenly it's not that it's easy, it's that he is easy. It's, it's, not that, it's not that all of a sudden 
everything happens that you want to happen, it's that it's clear because his way is clear. So here's how I want to end uh, our teaching this morning. I want to stand together and I want to read out loud together as a congregation, Matthew 11. Can we do that together? So think about that progression. Jesus saying to his disciples, come follow me. He's still saying that to us today. He's saying that to you today. Come follow me. For what purpose, Jesus, am I to follow you? To be remade, to be conformed and transformed in his image. So let's read together the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 11, 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This hopefully makes uh, a little more sense why Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take the yoke of Jesus' teaching. So as we go forward for the next year, whatever it is that we are specifically looking at the life of Jesus, take his yoke upon yourself. Take his yoke and learn from him and be transformed and conformed. May Christoformity be stirred within us. God, we thank you for your word. Father, we bless you. Father, we thank you for the way that you are forming us into your image. Father, I pray for each man, woman, and child here (laughs) that we would truly live into our calling, that we would become like Christ. May we become like you. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. And it's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Father, I pray for each one of us that we would experience the great joy of that. When we follow after you, we become more like you. We bless you and we pray in your name. Amen. Jesus, you are our everything. It's in you that we find our rest. It's you if we find our peace made possible by your shed blood. Lord, this morning we heard stories from young and old, all spectrums of life, all different histories, all different callings. Lord, you have a specific calling for each one of us. Lord, make that clear to us this day, this week, Lord, as we go. Speak to us how we shall find rest today. Whether it's by doing things or by sitting still, 
Lord, you know us more deeply, more intimately than anybody else, Lord, for you made us. Lord, you know what we need every moment, every waking hour. Lord, even when we're asleep, Lord, you are watching over us. So I pray as we go now, we go in your rest. We love you. Thank you for meeting us here today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. Go with God. Have a wonderful day. And a big thank you to Nancy as well as Jim and Dave and Ron. Thank you for sharing with us today.